Welcome to Frontier Fintech Podcast, a podcast that makes fintech inclusive, accessible, and understandable for everyone. Don't forget to subscribe to hear insights from founders, experts, and investors in fintech and crypto at worldwideweb.frontierfintech.asia or find our podcast on your favorite podcast application. Hi, listeners. My name is Nat Vitayatana Said. Welcome to Frontier Fintech Podcast, a podcast that makes fintech inclusive, accessible, and understandable for everyone. I'm also joined by Armi Tunjaikon, my usual co-host. Armi brings experience in fintech, crypto, and software investing from his role as a venture capitalist at IVP, a US, a US-based growth fund. And our guest today is Tada Josh Fraser, <laughs> the co-founder of Origin Protocol. Origin was founded in 2017 to bring NFTs and DeFi to the masses, and Origin's story has powered multiple record-breaking NFT sales for top creators, and they've also launched Origin Dollars, which is the first stable coin that earns competitive DeFi yields while sitting in consumer's wallet. So, George, Army, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Same. I'm really excited for this. Excited to have you both on board as well. So why don't we get started by learning a little bit more about Josh. I was reading at your profile and I saw that you started coding at 10 prior to Origin. <laughs> also co-founded a bunch of companies before. So we're so thrilled to have you on the show today. Can you tell us more about like your personal story, how you got into crypto and you know how you got into tech in general? Yeah, I've been playing with computers a long time. But basically taught myself how to code and study computer science in college. And then when I graduated, I was pretty sure I was never going to take a real job and work for anyone else. Uh, and so I've basically been doing entrepreneurship my, my whole life. Had some successes, sold a company to Walmart, uh, sold another company to a company you've never heard of, and lots of failures along the way as well, as, uh, as these things go. Got into Bitcoin in 2010. This time is early enough where you could just mine on like standard issue laptop. And about, I think it took me seven and a half hours to mine my first block. But then I, I, I was like, great, I've got 50 Bitcoin, whatever that is. And Whoa, all I was at, five zero. Five zero was a block reward at this time. But the, you know, all I knew was that was making my computer overheat and I couldn't get any work done. And you know, this is before Bitcoin pizza. This is before there was any exchange. There was no price for Bitcoin at this point in time. And so I, you know, I was fascinated by the idea intellectually, but there was absolutely no reason for me to think this was going to be anything long-term at that point. And so it wasn't until 2017 when I started looking around and being like, where did I put that laptop? <laughs> and I managed to, to dig it up and, and rescue them after a little bit of work. I hope you found um, the 50 Bitcoin. I found the 50 Bitcoin oh. um, and still, still holding on all 50 of them today, which is kind of cool. But along the way, I learned about Ethereum. And that was once I started understanding the possibilities of Ethereum, it just really captured my imagination. And I, I remember reading the Ethereum white paper and being like, I don't know what we're going to use this for, but this is, this is such a big breakthrough in, in computing. I have to work on this. I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I am go I'm next, at least next, next few years of my life, I'm going, to be, I'm going to dig in on this. And so my co-founder, Matt, and I started just throwing ideas up on the whiteboard and we decided to circle the biggest, craziest one of all, which was Origin. And we, we actually started out with a different 
idea than what we have today. We had to morph and pivot a few a few times as as things go in startups. And we started out trying to tackle decentralized marketplaces, so very generalized marketplace application. Build a prototype; it worked. But getting you know building up both sides of a marketplace in such a nascent space proved to be we we were just too early. There's too much fundamental technology that it doesn't exist yet, and even to this day doesn't exist. And so that's where we started working on the products we have today, which are Origin Dollar and our NFT platform, Origin Story. Okay, before we get into the story of Origin, I have to ask about you know like your how you meet Matt and other folks in the team because here's one key difference I see between Origin and a lot of other protocol or like crypto founder are that you guys have so much experience, right? Like you are I don't know how many times the fourth time founders. Like Matt is a third PM at YouTube. Like the team is just truly amazing. Like, can you tell us a little bit about how you met each other? How do you form a team to begin with? Yeah. I met Matt in San Francisco. I had I was working on a different startup at the time, um, and I pitched a, a VC in San Francisco who runs Homebrew. Uh, Hunter Walk runs an early stage venture fund, uh, and I pitched him for investing investment. And at the, the end of the pitch, he said, "Hey, I'm not going to invest, but if you want some free office space, like you're welcome to crash here," which was pretty much the nicest rejection I've ever gotten from a from a VC. And I sat down on the table, and there was this nerdy Asian guy sitting across the table from me told me his name was Matt. And so anyway, we, we headed off, became friends. And, you know, Ben, you know, he was working on, on different company at that time. I was working on a different company, but we became good friends. And then when I ended up selling my company to Walmart and went and traveled the world for a while, came back, was really bored. And Matt was like, come, come work with me. And his other co-founder, Jonathan at the time, I was like, just, just act with us for a little bit. And, and Matt was actually one who, who really got me into Ethereum. He was the one who's like, Josh, you got to check out Ethereum. He probably told me three or four times before I actually sat down and was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll look at this thing. And so, yeah, Matt and I built a few businesses together before starting on Origin. But it was that his relationships from Google and his time there that really helped build out that first team, that initial team that we had. So we pulled in Yupan, who was one of the six co-founders of PayPal. He was also the first engineer at YouTube. So, you know, Matt and Yupan kept in touch. We, we were able to convince Yupan to come on board. And then Yupan just started pulling other engineers that he'd worked with at both of those companies. So we ended up with just a very experienced team for people who have worked at some of the biggest companies in Silicon Valley. And so I, I think we're pretty unique in a way that we balance, you know, the, the deep expertise of Silicon Valley, but also embracing everything that goes along with crypto, right? Being open source, open, you know, open community, being completely international and global from the very beginning. So we really try and merge the, the two worlds as best as we can. Yeah, totally agree. I think your team are really best fit for the crypto world. And I wish I have a friend that makes me read Ethereum white paper five years ago, <laughs> or longer. I, I... I wish you met Josh earlier in 2020. I know, right? I wish you met Matt. If if you'd been mining with me, you'd been like, what is this? You probably thought it was like a waste of time, just like I did. (laughs) I mean, 50 Bitcoin. I mean, uh, I'll take take one. Um, (laughs) Okay. But before before we go into the origin story, I'd love to, to understand a little bit more, given your experience working with, founding multiple tech companies in Web2 and now founding Web3 companies. 
what's the biggest difference in terms of figuring out product market fit? Because you said that Origin initially, the product didn't find market fit, product market fit as well. And then you had to prove it a little bit more. Yeah. So like, was that the journey the same between Web2 and Web3? How does it work? Yeah, it's, it's quite different. You know, there's some, some very obvious differences. One is just like the importance of community and everything you do. You know, it takes, it takes a little bit to get used to like working in public, making everything open source. Obviously, like crypto is global 24-7 by, by default. And so that takes some, some getting used to as well. I, I think some of, some of the biggest differences are just like the shared ownership model. Where in traditional Web2 companies, all of the growth was funded by VCs. We can think of Uber just plowing money into Uber to help it take off with free rides for you know, passengers and drivers. We saw this with you know, pretty much all the sharing economy companies, VCs just pouring money into to fuel growth. With Web3, what's happening instead is instead of you know, we're being a VC handing out you know, cash, the, the actual ownership of the, the token in the network itself is being given out to the early users of the network. And so I think that is the biggest difference for companies to that are making it shift to really understand and also like embrace. You hear a lot of Web2 founders coming into Web3 and are still talking about the revenue that their company is going to build versus like the revenue the protocols going to make, right? And it takes a while for them to make that mental shift from we're doing everything to serve ourselves to we're doing everything we can to, to serve this protocol and this community. And if, if, a, if the protocol and the community succeed, then we'll succeed alongside them as well. So it takes a, takes a bit of a shift, but we're obviously evidence that, that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Yeah, so being decentralized and sort of like servicing the open community who are the owners of the network from day one, right? So probably the biggest thing instead of waiting for IPO and then dealing with the public market investors. That's right. And what's powerful about it is that when you make your users owners, they now have a stake. They actually care about what you're doing. And the natural thing to do once you're an owner of something is to start showing it to your friends. And that's why you have a, a built-in marketing mechanism built right into so many of these, these companies. Yeah, it's really different. I'm trying to think about my experience with Web2 company. I think the emphasis on community, it's generally depending on the business model, but I would say like, not a lot of companies are focusing on that on day one. And in crypto is all about community on day one. And yeah. I think you guys really do that right. Like Origin have so many passionate people in, in through Telegram from multiple countries, I think, right? Like they have different group chat within Indonesia and China and all over the world. So that's truly, you know, sh- showed out. Okay. In yeah, sorry, if it was that sounds like you're no, I, I, I was just gonna agree. Like it, it's it's crazy how. We have, you know, our website's in 22 different languages. It was translated by volunteers, right? People who just are passionate about what we're doing. And we have, like I said, we have multiple language communities, like our Turkish community is huge, our Vietnamese community is like super active. So it was like, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy to have been a part of creating something that's so global in scope. Yeah. Hopefully there's more Southeast Asia group chat after this episode is out. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Okay, back on the story of origin. So my understanding is there's two key products, right? Like one is on the 
story side is an NFT marketplace, and another one is on the Origin Doubler, which is a stable coin product. Let's start off with story first. Can you tell us a little more in a nutshell what story is about? Yeah, so uh, like I said, we we started off with this idea around decentralized marketplaces that didn't start that didn't work, and so we we started with two separate experiments. And we're like, let's do something in NFTs and let's do something in DeFi, and we'll see. You know, maybe one maybe one of these things will, will work. Uh, and so on the on the story side, we're good friends with Justin Blau, who's a, a you know a DJ, who's pretty well known in the in the crypto space, and he was he was starting to get really into NFTs. And we were talking to him. And we we're like, we're thinking about building this tool to help creators sell NFTs. And he's like, Let, let's work on it together. And so we and did this in February of last year, and it blew everyone away, and including ourselves, with just how well his NFT sale performed. So I ended up selling a single drop, eleven point seven million dollars worth of NFTs, which was a new record at that time. It was the largest NFT sale up to that point. It was before people, it was before any of that. It's still the largest musical NFT sale to date. And so keep in mind, this happened during COVID, right? When every artist has been stuck at home, no one can tour, no one can make any money. And here's this, you know, rather, rather small DJ who just made more money than all these other much bigger name artists who hadn't been traveling or, or been making money for the last year. And so that was really what put Origin on the map. And before we knew it, we had every musician, artist, celebrity knocking on our door, saying, "Hey, can you help us sell NFTs too?" Uh, and that was really what launched us into this space. Since then, we've done a bunch of record-breaking sales. So we did the Charlie Bitney NFT sale. If you remember that video, the, the cute boy like biting his, his brother's finger. 800 million views on YouTube. And they decided to turn it into an NFT and delete the video from YouTube. And so, remember, I mean, was videos deleted from YouTube every day, but no one's ever deleted a video with 800 million views before. And so that one made, I mean, it just got massive, massive attention. Every major news outlet in the world covered that story. And so we, that, was a, that was a really fun one for us to be a part of. We did uh, an Inspiration4 launch with SpaceX. Set a new record selling the most NFTs in a single drop. 70,000 NFTs. All the funds went to St. Jude Hospital and Cancer Research for Kids. So that was awesome to be a part of as well. Uh, and we've just, we've done, we've worked with a ton of EDM artists, largely because of Blau and our success there. So we worked with Ace Jackers and Don Diablo and Kashmir and many, many others. And then recently we did uh, the Paris Hilton drop. And so we got to work with her as well. So big differentiator that people care about. One is being able to, to launch on their own website, on their own brand, really control the experience. And the other thing, you know, you've probably seen a lot of NFT drops don't go well, right? They have rocky launches, the tech doesn't work, the contract hasn't, you know, hasn't been audited or the website goes down. And for, you know, the creators we work with, reputation is everything. Uh, the brand is everything. And so, you know, they're, they're looking for a brand that they trust that has had enough success in the past that they're confident we're not going to embarrass them or, you know, have a, a, an NFC sale, but just as a, a total flop because of the tech. So we've been able to, to kind of carve out this, this part of the market for ourselves with, with these top creators. How do you uh, source all these creators? Sorry, Army, just a quick question yeah, for me. Yeah, I want to know that too. 
yeah, how do you say all these like big name creators? I'm a fan of EDM too. And, you know, Justin Laos and like Paris Hilton were all like people I know of and, and I grew yeah. up with them. That's really cool. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of crazy to say, but it's mostly been inbound. Most of these people found us in some way or other. Paris Hilton was a fun, funny one. I was in a clubhouse room. And do you guys know who Kim.com is? By any chance? You know, Kim? No. no. He, he's a quiet character. He's behind some of the, the file sharing systems. So the RIAA and MPAA are, are kind of after him. Pretty, pretty controversial guy. But anyway, apparently he's friends with Paris Hilton. So we're in this, this clubhouse room. And it's MC Hammer, Blouse on stage, Paris Hilton's there. Bunch of other like, celebrities are in the room and kim.com is like hey paris i want you to meet my boy josh fraser he he's got this awesome nft platform josh why don't you you tell her about it and there's five thousand people in the room just listening you know as i'm like given this opportunity to to pitch paris on why she should use origin so we chat for a few minutes and just asking about like what she's doing in space and and whatever and then afterwards, at the end of it, she's like, yeah, I just, I just sent you a DM. Let's, let's catch up offline. And sure enough, Paris Hilton slid into my DMs. And that <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> Damn. That, was, that was how it started. That yeah. must have been a hell of a pitch. <laughs> I, I don't understand how you didn't get the VC funding from your first investor, first company. It sounds like you made an awesome pitch. <laughs> I, it, practice makes perfect. Yeah, you get better uh, over time, right? I was yeah. Ask. yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Okay, okay. Go. I'll go. I'll go. For crypto, it's all about the community and being just, I think for NFT, it's very similar as well. It's all about building community around it and have this community who really value your NFT. Right? And that's how each different collection actually skyrocket. So for all these, these famous people, these influencers, like how are you working with them to create that community element for their NFT drops? Yeah. So a lot of these, these people are coming with existing audiences. They already have enormous followings on social media. Maybe they're new to NFTs, but they, they certainly have an audience of people who know them in, in crypto and, and outside of crypto. I think the biggest thing that we have to help the creators really come to, to understand is just the how to be more long-term thinkers about how they approach it and how we approach community building. Too many creators come and they just want to make a ton of money up front, right? So I can't, you know, the number of celebrities who came to us and were like, if Blau did 11.7, I can do 10 times that, right? And they were just so confident and cocky that they could, they could just, you know, make a hundred million dollars just like that. And it's, some of them tried and, and failed, you know, miserably uh, to do that. And, and what we try and, tell them is, you know, the way to win in this space is be, you know, short-term, generous, long-term greedy, right? And so, you know, instead of trying to make everything up front, what you want to do is actually distribute your NFTs to your biggest fans and then start promoting it and then let those fans participate in the upside as your community comes grow stronger, as people get excited about you know, how the, the NFTs are holding and going up in value. They'll become more and more passionate fans and spread the word about your community. And then you can all be successful together and you'll end up with a, a very, very passionate tribe of people who are just fanatical about these NFTs and being a, a part of your, your circle. 
And so we've, we've seen lots of examples of this, this working. I mean, Board Apes is like a, a great example, right? Their initial mint price was 0.08 ETH. And, you know, we made a couple million dollars in an initial drop, but it's nothing compared to what we've been able to make since then from secondary trading, from dropping the, the Bucin Apes, from doing their, their more recent metaverse drop. Like it's completely dwarfed any of that revenue made from that initial drop just by taking a long-term view and allowing the holders of the apes um, to be successful every step of the way alongside them. And hopefully Elon will hold your collection too. (laughs) (laughs) When he's not busy buying Twitter. Uh, Okay, I want to take a step back a little bit because I read the stats recently that I think there is much more crypto users now, but within that crypto users, like the, per, the amount of people that hold NFT or, or in that are still minimal, like 1% or something. So some people, listeners might not be even familiar with how the drops work, how the minting works. Can you tell us a little bit how those process works before story exists and how does that change the entire process? Yeah, so you know, the, the, what's happening behind the scenes is still the same. You're, you're basically signing a message with your wallet. You're interacting with a smart contract. It's issuing basically a unique certificate saying that you own either a one of one or one of 10,000 of a certain piece of, of digital content. And so that part remains the same. But before, Jim, what people were doing was they were just selling these on OpenSea. And so they're you know, lost in a, in a sea of other NFTs, pun intended. Versus on, on Origin, what we allow people to do is really control the entire experience and so that they can have the branding, their own domain, and they can actually customize exactly the information that people see. And it's also just for NFTs. There's, no, there's not a mix of other NFTs in there as well. And you can imagine this is, this is really important for brands that are increasingly getting into this space as well. Both Playboy and Disney are getting into NFTs as an example. And I don't know about Playboy, but I'm sure Disney probably doesn't want their NFT showing up right next to the Playboy content, right? And so the ability to filter the content and really control that experience is really valuable. It also helps with some of the problems of just like fake NFTs. If you go on OpenSea, you search for popular collections, you'll be like, which one is it, right? There's 10 fake versions for every real one. And you have to, you know, it's very, very easy to get scammed. So being able to... You go to the trusted website from the creator, that, that really helps the experience as well. I also don't understand this that well. On the term of primary and secondary market, like my understanding is, is like OpenSea, a lot of the time, the drop already happened and people just resell things on a secondary right. market. Can you talk a, lot, a, bit, a bit about how you know, that primary market, the dropping, the minting on, when you first exist works? Yeah. So that's what we're... That's what we're fo- we've been focused on today is just the primary sale. We very much want to move our focus to enabling and supporting the secondary sale as well. And so a lot of the work we're building, um, a lot of this technology we're building now is focused on marketplace and so that you can you can buy the original NFT on custom website from the creator and then you can immediately put it up for sale and trade it and, and do all of that all in one place under the, the creator's brand. Right now, what people are doing is they buy the, the original NFT on Origin, and then all, but all the trading is happening on OpenSea or Luxray or some other exchange. And we think we can bring that together and have a, a more cohesive experience for all the users. So it'd be like an ecosystem 
both primary and secondary market for like legitimate influencers or people who are actually, you know, verified? It doesn't have to be. What we've seen is that like there's a lot of people coming up who are maybe maybe have much smaller audiences than, than some of the celebrities we're working with, but are still able to build vibrant communities. And so our our measure of whether we work with someone is not, you know, do they have a blue check mark on Twitter or not? It's really are we able to build a community around this and are there are, are we willing to help their like does everyone win right we want to make sure that origin users win if they're buying these nfts we want their their buyers to win if they're doing it as well so it's all about how do we create a win-win-win situation those are the drops that we want to promote and and, and amplify on our platform of course we're building it to be permissionless so everyone's welcome anyone can sell nfts and origin but you know we'll be a little bit picky and choosy about which ones we we add marketing support to or promote on our platform. I'm afraid me and Army won't be able to launch on your platform then. You can. It's permissionless. It's permissionless. <laughs> Just kidding. All, all, all are welcome. <laughs> so how did how does it work on the artist's perspective? Like when they launch one drop and they get the cash, do they have to keep producing new work for their community or? Like, how does the royalty and like the different collections actually work from from the artist's perspective on the economic side? Yeah, so they'll get you know the sales from the primary. The primary sales will get those once the, the sale is done, and then it's you know the smartest creators are going to continue promoting and building the community around these NFTs that have launched. And so we've seen that you know the most successful projects have continued to do that, whether it's free airdrops to their holders or new perks or merchandise or access to special events. We've seen all sorts of, of cool things that people have done to really drive that value to the secondary market. And then one of the, the things that's really unique about NFTs is this, this idea of secondary royalties that exist. We don't really have it for any other types of purchases today, right? Where if something is trading hands, like if I sell something on eBay, the original like creator of that good or isn't getting a cut of it, but with NFTs we're we're doing that. So so creators are getting royalties that are passed on with every single time these NFTs trade hands. And open this is really possible because of not because of any technical insurance that they they have to do it, but OpenSea are just choosing to honor the royalties that people are are asking for. So if a creator asks for a certain royalty, OpenSea are are honoring that request and they're making sure that that those funds get forwarded back to the creator on a regular basis does that does that answer your question yeah that answers my question what's next for arjun story it's actually really exciting what's what's coming next we're revamping our staking model so we have our token ogn which is on coinbase binance all the major exchanges and has been representing both our, our tokens we're breaking that out so it's only going to be focused on origin story and, and we'll get into what we're doing on the, on the origin dollar side in a minute. But what we're going to do is have a new way for people to participate in staking with their OGN. And they're actually going to be able to stake on the origin platform for a share of the revenue that's generated by the origin story platform. So, you know, our company has made millions of dollars on revenue just on the, the fees that we take on, on running these sales. But today, all of that money has just been coming to, to the company. And what we want to do is really lean into this whole Web3 world 
and share that revenue with the people who are staking on the platform. So this will be a completely decentralized platform where the, the revenue is generated by the protocol will then be distributed to the people who are staking on the protocol. And one of the cool things we're actually going to do is allow people to stake on individual collections. So if you're particularly bullish on you know, Paris Hilton's drop, you can stake all your OGN on that, and then you'll get a higher pro rata share of the revenue that's generated by that drop versus the other ones. Or you could say, no, I'm more of a Jake Paul fan, and I'll stake on Jake Paul's collection and then get, you know, you'll be rewarded if you're, if you're right. And what's cool about that is that as soon as you're staked on a particular collection, now you have a natural incentive to become a promoter for that collection as well. And so it's really uh, comes full circle on, you know, crypto on like, how do we actually align incentives to, to drive the outcome that you want? And so this is a great way for creators to get more, more people who are, you know, going to be out there promoting and supporting their, their drops. And hopefully, you know, we're really bullish and excited to launch this in the next month or two. That is actually super interesting. It's because at the end of the day, the economics, the total revenue goes into all the holders, but that is something that is not possible in the stockholders Web2 perspective. You hold a share of the company, but then you cannot split that out into multiple segments. The fact that you have this token, you can actually, the staking mechanism allows you to actually be really specific about which revenue stream or which artist in, in this case, like you want to have claim on and support. And that also links to the fact that you can pick and choose community that you're more bullish on, even within a protocol. That is actually the, another great use case I just thought about just now, right? Like that's not possible with a, a typical share in, in a normal company. It's amazing. Yeah, Okay. very, very much so. Yeah. yeah, shifting to the origin dollar story. Wait, that's funny. Pun not intended. There's two stories, <laughs> but I guess there's only one story platform. Uh, on the dollar side, can you tell us a little bit about what that is in a nutshell? Yeah, so Origin Dollar or OUSD is a stablecoin. It's backed by it's backed by Wine by other stablecoins, USDT, USDC, and Dai. But what's unique about it is that it's yield bearing, so it gives you access to the, some of the highest yields that are available in DeFi with none of the hassles that are, are typically associated with. So for those who are familiar with, you know, DeFi and yield farming, probably familiar with a cycle where you take your stable coins, you deposit them in some yield farm, then you come back, you claim your rewards, then you take those rewards, you swap them back into stable coins, then you redeposit those stable coins back into the, the pool so that you get compound interest. And then you need to keep doing this every couple of days so that you get sort of a, the high, as high a compounding rate as possible. But at the same time, you're also paying hundreds of dollars of gas, especially doing this on Ethereum, every single time you do that loop. And, and so this is, this is something I've experienced many times firsthand where, you know, I thought I was being smart. I mean, these farms that are, you know, advertising these really high yields. But when I actually like do the math afterwards, it would be, you know, I'd often end up as be a complete wash based on you know, just the amount of gas I'd wasted doing all of this work. And so it's a very common problem. And what we, what we did is we basically took all of those techniques you can, you can use to generate yield in DeFi, and we just automated it. And so we just amortized the gas costs across an entire pool. So everyone's depositing funds into a shared pool. Those are being deployed into the best earning strategies in DeFi. 
And then the yield is automatically distributed to the holders of the stablecoin in the form of extra units of that stablecoin. So you don't have to do anything except buy it and then watch the, the balance go up in your wallet. And that's it. And it's, it's always worth a dollar. You can, I can send you $1,000. You check your balance tomorrow. There'll be $1,002. And then because of the yield that's been generated, and then you can just, you can just sit there and watch it grow. So the vision for it is really to be, you know, long-term is to be a, you know, a, a superior stablecoin that earns yield while it's, while it's chilling in your wallet. And, and in the short term, it's, it's an amazing way for anyone who wants to get access to DeFi, but doesn't want to deal with all the hassles. It's, it's one of the easiest, best ways to, to get exposure to the yield that's available in DeFi. Over the last year, we've averaged about 14% APY. So really strong yields. And it's in you know, some of the, the safest protocols in, in DeFi, Compound, Aave, Curve, Convex, uh, things like that, things that are audited and battle-tested with, with billions and millions of dollars. It's very similar to the idea of UST and Anchor. Oh, right? <laughs> don't, don't, no, it's not. It's, it's not similar to, to those at, at all. On the yield-bearing side, not the, not the algorithmic side. Very, no. very different. Very, very different. <laughs> the origin dollar is backed one-to-one by other stablecoins, which have been in turn backed by you know, USDC and, and UCT, yeah. backed by dollars and bank accounts. You know, DAI is, is over collateralized with Ethereum. So for every DAI in circulation, is uh, you know two dollars worth of Ethereum locked up somewhere in the vault. And so it's 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 a completely different thing from UST, which is you know backed by Hopium. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me rephrase. I apologize. Let me rephrase. So you get the ability to earn as if you were holding UST without the risk of being depegged. Explosions. Yes. Yes. And explosions. Yes. <laughs> okay. Sounds actually, good. Actually, okay. You maybe like, you know, like digging into that a little bit. Like, where is the yield from origin stable coin oh, comes yeah. from that makes it different from the yield of UST? Yes. Good, great question. So, the yield comes from three, basically three different sources. And we can broadly categorize them as lending, trading, and rewards. So on the lending side, we have decentralized lending platforms like Compound and Aave, where people can take out a loan. You can take out a multi-million dollar loan without signing any paperwork, talking to any bankers. It can, you can do it in a couple, you know, 15 seconds on your own. And all you have to do is put up more collateral than you're borrowing. And you can, you can safely do this. And it's safe for both you as a borrower. You can always get your collateral back. But it's also safe for the lender because if you don't come back and, and pay back a loan, you know, you're, it's an over-collateralized loan, so the, the protocol can actually liquidate you to protect the, the lender and make sure they don't get screwed. And so, you know, in exchange for these loans that are being offered, protocol collects interest, as common with, with loans. And that's a great way for people to earn yield. Second category is from trading. So you can think of this just like a trading desk at the airport where you can swap out your euros for yen, except in this case, anyone is welcome to jump behind the desk and say, I have cash, I'll trade with you. And you can earn your pro rata of the fees that are being generated by that desk. And so, you know, everyone knows, or a lot of people know Uniswap. There's also Curve, which is more optimized for stable coins, then Convex, which is a wrapper on Curve. So we take funds, some of the funds are deposited into Origin Dollar and deploy them into AMMs or automated market makers. 
just to collect the, the trading fees that are generated by those platforms. And then the third bucket are rewards tokens. And so a lot of these platforms are offering incentives to their users for using their platform. When Uniswap first launched, we did an airdrop to all, everyone who'd ever used their platform. We dropped 400 uni to everyone who'd used it. At one point, I looked at it and it was, it was $10,000. Of, 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 it was worth $10,000 to the holders who got it just, just for doing a single trade on their platform. And so a lot of these platforms are, are offering these incentives. And so what we're able to do is we, we claim those incentives when they're given out, swap them back into stablecoins, reinvest them. So you're not taking volatility risk on these volatile assets, and, but then you're getting the, the nice compounding interest from that. And all of this without any work on your part, you just trusted that the protocol was going to do all the work for you to, to make sure you're earning the best yield possible. Got it. Okay. So, okay. My understanding is, please correct me if I'm wrong. The, the value prop of origin dollar is as if you would have to, you know, like tap into these DeFi multiple way of earning yield, Mo- do it multiple times to compound itself because, well, you know, like you get the liquidity token out and then you can redo it to compound itself and then convert it to stable coin to, you know, de-risk against volatility. All of those cost gas. You're basically pulling everyone that wants to do this together. Do it in one time to save on gas so that you can pass back the gas fee into extra yield for everyone in the system. Like that's the key that's difference. Right. Okay, makes perfect sense. What about on a UST part? Like, can you tell us a little bit about, <laughs> you know, like how does that work? Like yield are definitely d- different, right? Like Anchor Protocol, UST, Luna has nothing to do with DeFi really. Yeah, so it's a you know it's a, an interesting experiment, a very very large experiment. We've, we've seen a lot of attempts, people trying to build algorithmic stablecoins, starting with Basis, which I was an early investor in, and I've been fascinated with this space for for a long time. Right, we saw other attempts with DSD or Dynamic Set Dollar and Empty Set Dollar ESD tried to do this as well, and, and then UST is just a, another twist on this model. The, the problem is, is that it, it works really, really well in the bull market. When everything's going up, it's, it's great. Everyone's excited. And basically, you're able to print UST, this stablecoin that's backed by Luna, which is the, the native coin on the Terra platform. And so it's a li- you can think of it a little bit like Ethereum backing DAI, except it's not actually backing but Luna is not actually backing the, the UST that it's, that it's printing. It's just that you can swap on a one-to-one basis. The problem is, is that there's not a whole lot of use cases for Luna besides UST. And so we go very, very, very much hand-in-hand. Whereas you know, on Maker, there's like a million different things that are happening outside of Maker that give Ethereum value. And you know, the amount of Ethereum that's locked up to produce DAI is a very small percentage of the, the Ethereum is in circulation, whereas in the Luna system, uh, you know, the only reason to hold Luna is to be able to print UST. And so we saw this, this thing where, you know, people were, the price of UST was just going up and up and up, people were printing, printing, printing. And we were able to, you know, have billions and billions of dollars of, of new cap- capital come into the system. But that, that all works well in a, in a bull market. The problem is what happens when it starts going down. And in this week, we, we saw that and, you know, it's, it's really ugly, right? A lot of people lost money. Unfortunately, it's dragging a lot of the rest of the market down with it as people are, you know, a lot of other assets were bought with 
UST, which was printed off of, you know, the, the value of, of Luna, which is, which is collapsing very, very quickly. So I, I think it's, you know, these, these types of things are pretty dangerous and can have pretty widespread consequences. And I hope we'll see a return to sanity as people start realizing that just because something calls itself a stablecoin, just because it usually trades at a dollar, doesn't mean that it's, they're all equally valuable what's actually backing it actually has has some significance and importance super helpful it's really interesting to see you know like a lot of people maybe you know think of DeFi as like hey like let me buy a stable coin to earn this x amount of yield but what happens behind the scenes are really different and the risk reward are really different depends on how the mechanism actually works okay let's maybe to end let's tie all of them together like there must be a reason why you launch the nft marketplace and the dollar under the same brand of origin. Like how does that two ties together? Yeah. So the we, we have origin dollar, origin story, and then our token OGN. And so one of the, the things that's been a struggle for us for quite a long time is what to do with OGN because the tokenomics were always confusing for our users on how does how does the success of the NFT platform drive value to OGN holders? How does the success of origin dollar drive value to OGN holders? Uh, and so we made the decision to launch a new token. So this is going to be coming in a couple months where we're going to be actually airdropping this new token called OGV, origin dollar governance, to on a one-on-one basis to all the holders of OGN. So everyone has OGN today will be able to, to claim their OGV when this new token drops. And that way we're going to have clear tokenomics and clear narrative for each of our, our products. If you're bullish on NFTs, you can buy OGN. If you're bullish on DeFi and stablecoins, you can buy OGV. And it'll make the, the tokenomics a lot simpler and the narrative a lot simpler for everyone to understand. And it's all falling under the origin brand because we, you know that's that's the community we've been building for you know since 2017. And so obviously that's one of the most valuable things we have. The common thread that ties these things together, if you haven't figured out yet, is really about how do we actually help people make money? How do we help people win? So we want for people who are buying NFTs in our platform, it's not a guarantee. We're not, we can't guarantee that anyone's going to, that everyone's going to make money on the NFTs that they buy, but we want them to have a, a good shot at it, right? We want to be promoting NFTs that are reasonably priced or even like a good deal for the, the people who are participating in it. We want our creators that we work with. We want them to succeed and do well, not just in the short term, but but more importantly in the long term. We want to to grow the space, bring more people into the space. And then on on Origin Dollar, we want the holders of USD to make money. Right? We want that's very straightforward. But it's a yield bearing asset, and certainly we care about our token holders as well. For people who are buying OGN, people who are buying OGD, we want them to succeed. So that's why we're here. We're we're here to to help our users win in whichever way we can. And where can people find out more info about Origin Protocol? OriginProtocol.com is our website. And what's the best way to join the community? Is it on Discord? Discord is probably our most active. Our entire team hangs out there, so it's a great place to hang out. We're we're all there. Awesome. OriginProtocol.com. And also follow their Twitter for latest news and hang out in their Discord for latest news on the community front. Thank you so much, Josh, for spending time with us. It's been super valuable to learn about NFTs, the artists, economics, and how you think about creating yields for the holders of crypto. 
and how that ties back together to create like a big ecosystem where everyone actually benefits from holding, you know, respective tokens within the origin protocol form. Thank you so much for spending, spending time with us. And thanks also, Army, for co-hosting this episode. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Same. Thanks a lot. This is amazing. <laughs>